everyone goes oh, why didn't he call me i was like because no one's thinking about calling no. nobody at the time they're <clears throat> fucking in it they're in it they're in this crisis moment where everything is fucking fuck the world mm. fuck it you know let's go welcome to citizen we've got a special guest today vincent rocco vargas you may have heard of him uh how's it going good man welcome to texas <laughs> thank you thank you i got back as fast as i could uh back from where you know we were we, we were in uh, utah for a while yeah about seven years but uh, when i went to utah i was living in el paso at the time still <clears throat> uh, but you didn't live in uh did you live in la no i never did i did the commute the whole time yeah you know, all seven years of that that's not bad or six years of it yeah it's not bad from utah or vegas or something like that no no uh, the drive was nine and a half hours and sometimes the drive if i chose the dro- drive it was just like audiobooks and podcasts yeah yeah, yeah what kind of podcast you listen to uh you know i listen to joe rogan was one i did for a while i've done the uh jordan peterson i enjoy his stuff drinking bros podcast mm. From time to time. Well, you're uh, you're an emeritus drinking bro, I guess, <laughs> is what you would call that now at this point. Yeah. Um, so let's get through, let's go through your history a bit. I want to start from uh, the moment you were born. Yeah. Where'd that happen? In Northridge, California, mm. in the San Fernando Valley. In the valley, huh? Yep. Valley trash. I, I get it. I like <laughs> I like it, man. It's hot as fuck down there, though. It can get hot. Good yeah, Lord. I didn't know any better, bro. That's all I knew, so I, I yeah. loved it. Um, what was it like growing up there? It was cool, you know, from, from the age where I started to really understand where I lived, uh, it was obviously like kind of a gang mm-hmm. environment. Um, you grew up really fast knowing what colors you should and shouldn't mm-hmm. wear and things like that and what streets are kind of the dangerous ones to go down to. But uh, I was so heavily in sports that I really didn't, you know, I didn't partake in any of that. You know, friends maybe, but me personally, I never was a, was a part of that world. Well, how do you like... How do you manage to circumvent getting involved in that shit? I mean, because it's, it's pretty attractive. What was your home life like? Was it, it was good. You know, stable? I had my mom and my dad, bro. Mm-hmm. You know, so my that mom and dad, my, my older brother. My father was a former gang member, but he was mm-hmm. back in the day was, wasn't, wasn't gang banging. Um, he got in trouble with the law, so he ended up going to the Marines. My brother was involved in the world of it, started from tagging, got into the music scene of it all, and kind of became a, a pretty, pretty well-known name in like kind of the Sudanio movement, if mm-hmm. you will. But I played so much sports that I didn't even have time to be involved in that. Weekends were baseball tournaments and whatnot. Uh, and, you know, my father was pretty heavy-handed in the fact that he, I, I could not step outside of that. That that I can't fuck up much. And if I no. thought about it, I always thought about, like, the vast woman I'd get when I got home. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, not a professional fighter, but definitely involved in professional fighting. Right? Yeah, I mean, He's yeah, a pretty well-known cut man, one yep. of the most well-known of all time, actually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you don't want to fuck up there. Yeah, he, I, he, it wasn't uncommon to see my dad get into his own scuffle, right? He mm. was willing to fight anybody. And growing up watching that was like intimidating as a man to feel like, man, he has no fear in fighting anybody. I don't think he'd question punching me. <laughs> and he never punched me, but like it was always the fear, you know? Yeah. Do you think he had no fear or was it like, because I wonder about, because I, I feel that way too. It's like, my principle means more to me than my fucking safety in life, yeah. frankly, I think. No, absolutely. You know? And I think, like, if you if the table is turned, my kids probably think the same of me, yeah. I'm sure. But uh, but I don't, I, I, I don't know. I've never seen him. He's kind of that generation of, like, men don't cry and fucking tough, mm-hmm. tough, that uh, <laughs> even when his mother passed away, he read the eulogy and didn't even shed a tear. Like, he's just a kind of a tough cookie to crack. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what about your mom? 
she's a she, she's the dreamer man uh you know i talk about my, my, my mom she was raised very poor you know her mother came across uh the border and circumvented the system in a way that uh, the book talks about but my mom uh she was raised poor you know for christmas they would get a used toy uh she it wasn't uncommon for her to help in the fields and picking cotton and and fruit i believe it was i can't remember exactly which fruit it was but that was just how they grew up um my grandfather would jump on the trains to from texas to uh, arizona to work in the migrant fields as well and you know they were hard-working family uh, but she at 18 decided she didn't want to continue that cycle with her family and work in a cannery or the fields or whatnot so she moved to la to be you know she, she became a, a secretary you know and you know my mother and father you know, my, my dad was a firefighter and so he was home, you know, a couple of days out of the week and the rest of the, he was at the firehouse and my mom was the rest of the time when she was probably working most of the time. So, you know, I would come home from school and kind of fend for ourselves in the sense of cooking dinner at times, unless, unless she was home. But if she wasn't, we would figure our, our meals out. We would kind of do our own homework and I'd ride my bike to baseball practice. And so it was kind of an autopilot lifestyle for a while <clears throat> until she, until, yeah, until we kind of got ordered and it, it is what it is. Yeah. What about uh, the teen years, right? You're getting a little more independent. You're, you're, and and we're, we're the latchkey kid generation, right? Both parents yeah. for the first time in American history had to work yeah. all the time. Not, yeah. not, that's not always the case, but it became the majority, I think, yeah. in our generation when we were growing up. So it's like I remember those days. I had a lot of autonomy for a fucking retard. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I had way too much responsibility over my own life. For the yeah, amount of emotional intelligence I had, at the <laughs> absolutely. Period. But you know, that's kind of how you got to do it, right? It's like uh, a mo- if you if you were a different species and you saw a mother bird push her baby out of the nest and learn to fly, you'd be like, man, she's kind of a dick. But that's just the way it is, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I I tried to raise my older kids in the same way, but like at sixteen, I had the keys to the to the city, man. I had my car and. I was expected to get myself to baseball practice, expected mm-hmm. to get myself to school, and there was there was games that were easily two and a half hours away, and I'm driving at 16 with with a fucking map, dog. You know what <laughs> I mean? And like, quest yeah, yeah, dude. And so it was such a different world where I was trusted to do that. And there was nights when I was 16, 17, I didn't come home, and I just called my mom and said, hey, I can't drive. She goes, why? Well, I, I was drinking. Mm. You know, she's like, okay, we'll talk about it in the morning. But, you know, in the morning coming around, like, I just got home safe. She's like, thanks for being responsible. Mm. You know what I mean? My father was like, would probably say something a little bit more aggressive. But at the end of the day, it was like, I wasn't, you know, they, they kind of knew it was, as long as I wasn't getting arrested, I wasn't in a gang. They knew I was playing sports and traveling all over the place. And so it was kind of a, you know, I was kind of free floating. Yeah. It's like, we, I think when people think of having principled parents, um, they have this, and I'm from the Southeast. So it, there's a different idea of it down there. It's like, yeah. uh, the Southern Baptist clans, they don't think uh, like drinking and smoking and swearing are their big no-nos. Not that yeah. that is even mentioned in their Bible at all, right? <laughs> right. Nobody cares about that shit in, in, the, in the text, but it's like that's just kind of the, the form that they're, uh, let's call it um, their guidestone or their, their, uh, their bumpers yeah. took. You know what I mean? It's like you got to have some, something to keep you on the straight and narrow, for lack of a better phrase. People have this idea about what it means to be, uh, uh, I guess, a leader in that position. It's like, well, how could this person that's got a bunch of fucking tattoos or and, and I'm mapping it onto present, you yeah. know what I mean? How can this person that, that makes fucked up videos about people's buttholes and shit be a good parent? You know what I mean? It's just like, it's, <laughs> yeah. no, but none of that stuff is relevant. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just doesn't, it doesn't matter. So I see like um, <clears throat> a guy that was, 
involved in gangs and then the Marine Corps and then, you know, still walking around with a chip on his shoulder, still raising a kid that was more or less responsible, right? I mean, yeah. it's that that's it, it tells you a lot about how human beings operate. Yeah, it was you know a, I mean? like coddling a young man is bad news. I don't, yeah, I don't agree. I still to this day don't agree with it. Like there's things I won't do. Like I, I don't believe in like the full on hitting my kids at yeah, all. Like I mean, there's just no yeah, point to it. it right, exactly. It doesn't work. If it worked, maybe we could Dude, have a I conversation tried it. about I, it. This doesn't work. I tried it. It created a lot of animosity between yeah. me and my oldest daughter because yeah. our oldest son because I thought it was the right thing, mm -hmm. you know, and as I've evolved as a parent, I've kind of like, I'm an idiot. I was just continuing the cycle right. of what my dad did and what his dad mm -hmm. did. But what my dad did raise me with is manners. My daughter yeah. the other day just asked, she goes, dad, yes, sir, no, ma'am. Yep. No. My daughter just asked me, she goes, dad, why do we say yes, sir, and no, ma'am, or yes, no, ma'am, yes, sir? And she goes, most of my friends don't do that. I was like, well, there's a difference between us. Like, the manners to me is very important. Mm -hmm. It's a foundation that I really believe in that'll help you in the future. And, and uh, just because they don't do that doesn't mean it's okay. Like, I, yeah. I, I 100% will not back down to manners yeah that, that's some yeah i mean for me as well like my dad was super like not aggressive punishment but abusive like big time yeah. but that's the, the one thing that i did take from it that i'm glad that i learned was <clears throat> was that like whatever message you have or whatever circumstance you're in um think of uh manners as lubrication for that you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. like things just go a little bit better yeah. if you're polite about them and there's no reason to be, especially if you're trying to actually make a point, if you're a cunt about it, nobody's going to listen. Right. And why yeah. would they? Why right. should they? Right. <laughs> you haven't taken the time to to be a decent human being, so why should they listen to what the fuck you're saying? You know what yeah. I mean? That seems like a pretty simple lesson. Yeah. I try. My son, he's 14 years old, knucklehead, makes all kinds of mistakes. Oh, yeah. Right. He's just doing it all the things wrong right now. Oh, I remember. And that's, I remember being 14. <laughs> and I'm like, look, bro, I could be the dad that's all the way over here, and I could mm. beat the hell out of you, right? Or I could be the dad that's all the way over here mm. and not care. Yeah. I was like, but I'm in the middle. And so that's the guy you get, the guy that's in your face saying, hey, dude, you know you fucked up. Let's own it. Let's own it and let's mm -hmm. fix this shit. Because he's like, dad, why do you always say that? I was like, bro, because I want you to admit when you fuck up so yeah. then we can fix yeah. that. Because if we don't do that, there's no growing from that. Well, how much of that came from uh, your upbringing and how much of it came from being in the Army? Because the Army phrase is bad news doesn't get better with time. Yeah. Right? I yeah, tell yeah. people that all the time. It's like, look, you got an issue I need to know immediately. I'm your fucking squad leader tell yeah. me dude right we can go fix it right now before it becomes nuclear absolutely but if you sit on it you're fucked yeah i think you know my mm. father wasn't the type that was going to explain why he spanked me. <laughs> i got in trouble and i knew i was fucking wrong mm. and you know he would correct it mm. uh as i got into the military i think it's where i started to learn like how to explain that to your mm. subordinates because it was explained to me and i think that's something i've carried on from the military to my kids yeah. is like let me explain to you what where, where we're fucking wrong where we're off the rails and how to get back on it and it's going to be brutally honest to the point mm. where like hey you're wrong let's fix that yeah what made you decide to so you're you're in high school you're playing sports i knew you were a baseball player i was yeah. a baseball player as well i just kind of lost like I, I i looked at the path the trajectory to become a professional baseball player i'm like i'm not doing that <laughs> it's just like I, I didn't it wasn't that i thought it was too difficult or anything because i threw like 94 my junior year and Damn, i just kind of nice. lost interest in it you know yeah. it's like this uh, this doesn't matter enough to me to go be a professional it made me feel a certain kind of way like i didn't that was around the point 16 17 i was like i don't really care about anything i'm doing right now right. it doesn't affect me like i i still love watching baseball but 
uh, I didn't care enough. I knew I didn't care enough to put the kind of effort in that required that was required to be at the elite level for that. So I was just like, all right, I'm just not going to do it. I'll just be a fan from now on and let somebody (laughs) else do that. But what was it like for you? Because you were a pretty good baseball player as well. Yeah, I I loved it. I still, still to this day, I have like a thought of like, I could probably still go throw a good inning. (laughs) Like (laughs) I would say if someone called me today, like, hey, we want to draft you. I'd be like, bro, I I won't let you down. (laughs) That's how much I've always loved the sport so Mm -hmm. much and felt so so much passion towards it that I I have trouble even trying to coach my kids Mm -hmm. because I feel like there's so much disrespect going on on the field all day long, right? Um, yeah, I love even it. even in Major League Baseball, the fact that nobody can bunt or run the bases anymore drives me fucking crazy. <laughs> it's just the, the, the kind of the nerds got a hold of baseball and mm-hmm. started getting analytical with it and kind of destroyed some of the beauty of mm-hmm. it. And 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 that's that sucks to watch. It's like the same reason why catchers are not catching like they used to. And, yeah. and it's just a whole different ball game when you start adding the analytics to it. So what was it about? What happened during your latter high school years? Yeah. Did you go right into the military after high school? No, no. I did uh, junior college. Uh, I was in junior college for a couple of years. I didn't get the grades, uh, not even so much grades. I didn't even pass an SAT to, to get a college scholarship. So I went to the junior college route hoping to get drafted out of junior college. Um, I got in trouble the first college I went to and ended up going to a second college. That college was a blessing. It was a Glendale Community College out in uh, Glendale, California, obviously. And uh, we were considered the Hall of Fame team of the school. It was the best career, the best season they ever had at the time. Uh, Fernando Valenzuela Jr. was on the team. Mm -hmm. He was the first baseman for us. Uh, We had a couple dudes drafted on that team. But, uh, you know, I wasn't as fortunate as some of those guys get drafted. I continued to play. I got a full ride to a – I went one summer up in Chico, played for the summer, got a full ride to an NAIA college in Kentucky, uh, and eventually became uh, academically ineligible and lost the full ride. Mm. And so during that time, the world already started. I'm sitting, like, on on the weekends. I'm at Buffalo Wild Wings drinking beers or Texas Roadhouse drinking Mm. beers watching the war on TV. And uh, I started to kind of feel like, man, I'm going to miss out on something that's so iconic. I kind of want to be a part of that. I uh, had a daughter already being born and no more baseball. I tried out for a couple of independent pro teams uh, and, and I had an offer to go to Germany and play as well, but none of them would let me like bring my daughter along with me in, in overseas. And so kind of the decision was like, well, fuck it, let's just join the military. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to join the military, I might as well try and do the hardest fucking thing possible right. in my head. And so yeah. I joined with a Ranger contract. Um, so you wanted, I mean, it, it's, it's, this is a classic American tale, right? You wanted your Hemingway moment. Yeah. Everybody wants it. Everybody like, wants I it. want to go off to war and do something important with my life. I really thought, uh, you know, I always <laughs> felt like I was destined to do something special. I always feel it in my heart, you know, and thought like, well, fuck, maybe I'm going to go out there and be a part of one of the bigger missions, you know, that the world, you know, needs or some shit. Uh, you get out of the military fast and realize like, fuck, I didn't have that moment I was looking for. <laughs> mm. So you, uh, this I like I like asking people this question, and it's not that the answers are very disparate. But <clears throat> at what point during or after your service did you realize that what we were doing as a country globally didn't make a lot of sense, or that it like there was huge potential for blowback or whatever your yeah. opinion on it is? Yeah, it was interesting, man. I think right away when I got in, I, was, I, I started to try and understand like, wait, why the fuck are we at war right now? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And start to kind of dig into it and but every time i was overseas I, I stopped really thinking about that i was like well let me just get out of this first and i'll think about that right let me let me worry about staying alive yeah. and then when i get home I'll, I'll i'll really dissect this idea it wasn't until after i got out of active duty i was like fuck man i hope to god this never it doesn't feel like this was in vain because you lost mm-hmm. friends you know um still to this day i think you know with with 
with all the blowback of pulling out of Afghanistan and the way with the way it all went down, um, it felt ugly. It felt like, man, a lot of people died and, and it almost felt like, was it worth it? You know? And, uh, I try and shake that off real quick to just think like, well, in that moment we were there for each other and that was the value of it. But yeah, I, I start to, you know, the more you, you read about the government, understand the government, you start to really question like, fuck man, how many times have I been pulled in the wrong direction because of the belief or the driven of, you know, the emotional uh, drive to pull you into that kind of fight. Still to this day, like if my kids asked to join, I would still say like, is there something you can get value out of it? That's not like in, in the infantry space or combat arms then I don't see a problem. Mm. But the combat arms infantry side of it, it would be a hard time for me to allow my son to do, not to say allow, but I, I would be like, bro, I, I personally don't feel good about that decision. Because within the first deployment, dog, 45 days in getting to Ranger Battalion, mm. I, was, I was in Afghanistan on the top of a fucking hill pulling a fucking, you know, a fucking whatever the fuck, a patrol base. Mm. And I kept thinking like, fuck, if I applied myself like I am doing now in anything in the civilian world, I could be just as successful, right? I could have paid my bills. I could have paid for my daughter. So I started really questioning like, dumbass, you could have done so much in the civilian world and had the freedom to kind of do whatever the fuck you want. So I started feeling like the constraints of the military and not give me the freedom to cre- kind of create, you know, do more. Sure. Uh, so yeah, that, that shit was hard. That's, I think that was that and losing a couple of friends made it feel like, let's go see what else is out there. Mm. Maybe you had to, though, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, maybe you had to, maybe there was no other way to learn that of of your own internal strength, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I never would have figured it out unless I went to the military. Yeah, right. so I needed that push to, to know that there's so much more out there I could mm-hmm. do. And it's real, it's really problematic. And it, it, look, this has been going on since language has been around, maybe before, but, um, <clears throat> you know, people in, the, in positions of authority weaponizing the patriotism and empathy All right. you know of the of the working class to essentially extract wealth from either our population or other populations right. sometimes both lately it's been both right, right. Uh, it's like i i'm <clears throat> i've been working on a piece for uh newsweek recently about what they're calling the recruiting crisis i don't think there's a recruiting crisis right i think yeah. there's a crisis of identity in the, in the country right like who wants to fight for a country that doesn't give a shit about them and I, like, I, you can say like all the parades and all the thank you for your service bullshit but brass tacks right how are we treating our veterans are, are we are we treating them in any way appropriately the answer to that is obviously no right, right? so it's like if I I don't have kids yet, but if I did, I would tell them no, no fucking way you're joining the military yeah. right now. Yeah, and that's a problem, right? Jared and I were talking about it the other day. One of the biggest losses are legacy members. Yeah, like people like we we were back in the day, right? And it's the reason a lot of people went to sign up for Vietnam, even though that was a fucked up war. Korea as well, but uh, <clears throat> you know, fathers and grandfathers were like, "You're going to go serve your country." Yeah. And that's just not the case anymore. No, not at all. It's it's actually, it's kind of like that hard thing to hear is that people don't believe in America anymore. Mm. You know what I mean? Because the lack of trust in the government and whatnot. I still feel like, look at, so take it from me, for instance, I never would have been able to get college paid for. My parents didn't have that kind of money. Mm. They, we had four kids, right? One of us got the choice. The rest of us were like, if you figure it out yourself in the future, you know? Um, 
And so I never would have been able to get college covered. I wouldn't have the benefits if I didn't serve. And so I know that there still is value to the military. But like I said, the combat arms side is really hard pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. If you're doing it for like medical, uh, as in like a medical professional, whatever the case, there's all these other jobs and support. There's still value for those lower class, middle class that need that one step to kind of jump kind of like, you know, social economic yeah, positions. Yeah. It is <clears throat> valuable in that sense if you see it that way. The fear is that all of a sudden you have a fucking medic on top on a top gun all of a sudden. Then <laughs> you're like, fuck, this isn't what I signed up for. Yeah, yeah man. Um, it's like there, there is a we, – we know about the moral injury from war, right? Yeah. Like we have to do some fucked up stuff sometimes. It's going on in Israel right now. I, I should a lot. You're going to hear quite a bit of propaganda from both sides of any fight. Um, but I don't. I don't. I know people in the IDF. They don't want to go fucking massacre civilians. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's just not. And yeah. that's not who they are as, as a as a individuals. I don't know anything about uh, larger groups of people. But individual people I know don't. They, they just don't think that way. But sometimes shit happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? In war, you can't predict that. If if <clears throat> if it's a kid, it's one thing, but if there's a woman pointing a gun at me, she's going to die. Yeah. If there's a woman pointing a gun at my buddy, she's going to die. That right. sucks, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? But she's not an innocent civilian. I, I, it's, I don't want to armchair quarterback anybody because shit's all fucked up, but the point is you get involved in these situations, then you know sometimes you're going to end up doing some stuff that you didn't want to do. Right. And you need to know a couple of things to be able to survive that you need to know that your country and command have your back yeah and you need to know that it was for a good cause Absolutely. like world war ii no question right right like the, that that's a pretty easy decision to make the last 20 years i don't know that anything i did was right right at this point and i think a lot of dudes feel like that and then yeah. you're talking about before you put it out of your mind when you worry or wonder if it's if it was worth it or not, but a lot of people can't do that. Yeah, it's tough, man. But yeah, the, the moral injury of it, I think that's why we do have such a massive uh, amount of people committing suicide, mm-hmm. right? They don't heal those those ideas and thoughts. Um, I always tell people, like, I was completely comfortable with taking the fight to the enemy. What I never expected was the collateral damage that happens doing that. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you see, you know, innocent people uh, get killed just by... The, you know the tertiary effects of a, yeah. whatever uh that sticks with you and those are things that i've carried for a long time and those are the things that i work on myself really as much as i can and try and kind of guide others to do the same like with those retreats and things that i'm doing yeah. because that's the shit that sticks that you don't even think about that's the moral injury of like questioning and trying to find a way to justify what happened there is something that like being like someone who I don't, I don't talk publicly too much on it, but the fact that like I'm, I'm a follower of God, right? My whole belief is like, then you stand like, <laughs> do I have to, que- do I have to answer questions at one point? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not going to say Peter going to be like, Hey bro, what the fuck? Right, right, right. And you I think it's I mean? a big reason yeah. why like personally my fight has always been like, well, let me become a medic later in life because mm-hmm. I felt so like, I guess compelled to try and heal or help other than being a shooter. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, one of, one of the phrases I like to use is that if you can turn your pain and suffering into empathy for other people, you can save your life and their life, yeah. right? That's how human beings were designed to operate. We're social, communal creatures, right? Yeah. We, we depend on each other. Right. Uh, even if, like, and all the aphorisms 
that surround that, whether they're positive or negative, like misery loves company. That doesn't sound great. No. Right. But it does, it does. It, it might be the most poignant example of how much we do need each other. Right. Like even in our most shitty times when we don't want anybody else around, we do still kind of want somebody else around. You know what I yeah. mean? And then you can tell when somebody is in what I call like a psychological death row and they don't want anybody around, that's when they're in real trouble. Right. You know what I mean? Um, because you're starting to sever that, that connection with other people. And that's mm-hmm. what we do when we get back home. Like it, when it, when we're in a fucking squad base somewhere or in a team room, easy enough. Like I can say anything in front right. of you people. When I go back home and I'm working at fucking indeed or some shit like that, I can't yeah. tell people what I'm thinking because I'm yeah. not going to be working there much longer. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. You have no idea who has the relatable experiences mm. and the relatable experiences is what I think where connection comes from. Be like, Oh shit, you know exactly what I'm going through, you know? <clears throat> and the fact that what we do when we get out of the military is we alienate ourselves just from the fact that we feel that people don't understand us, which for the most part, they really don't at in a certain stance. Right. Mm. Well, so, how could they? Right. Exactly. You know. This episode is brought to you by ghostbed.com forward slash drink it bros. Ghostbed. It's the best bed in the world. It's the most comfortable sheets, pillows, the whole thing. I've got them all, man. And, you know, they wanted to extend their best possible offer to drink it bros. They've been with us for a very long time. So this is the email they sent us. We want drink it bros to get the best offer. So I updated the code for 50% site wide. That's five zero percent. Site-wide, use the code Drinkin' Bros, Drinkin' Bros with no G, for 50% off site-wide. Everything that you buy on this site is going to be 50% off. Again, they get the best pillows, sheets, mattresses. They get the mattress protector. Uh, if you're if you're sloppy and spill things and you don't want to jack up your mattress, they have pretty much everything you need. They've got weighted blankets now. They've got the adjustable base, which we really like. I've got one in my home. So go to ghostbed.com forward slash drink it bros. Use the code drink it bros for 50% off site wide. And don't forget about their page go plan. If you're with approved credit, you're going to be able to pay this thing off over the course of three to five years for 25 to 35 bucks a month. It's nothing. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash drink it bros today and use the code drink it bros for 50% off. This episode is also brought to you by black rifle coffee.com. The best coffee in the world. As a matter of fact, they won both the gold and bronze medal at the Golden Bean Awards this year for their exclusive coffee club entries in the elite category. So the best coffee on earth literally was Circus Bear by Black Rifle, one of their ECS. So I recommend that you go sign up for the Black Rifle Coffee Club. Use the code CITIZEN. You're going to get those points off. And, uh, you know, you get all the benefits from being in the coffee club. You get the free shipping. You get access to all the partner deals. Uh, uh, you get access to the exclusive coffee club. You get access to any new products that come out before anybody else does. You know, it's a very large club that they have over there. And the coffees are premium. Every single one of them is good. Uh, you, you're going to get experience for you. You can do just the plain coffee club. And if you want your two bags of, of uh, espresso or your two bags of silencer smooth or whatever it is you drink, you can get those two bags or one bag or whatever you want every month or and or rather, you can use the ECS, the exclusive coffee club, and get access to some of the most premium coffees on the planet and kind of learn what it is that you like. You know what I mean? So then you can order those premium coffees from Black Rifle as well. So, and we all know they got the best branding, the best merch, and they're buddies. You know, we're all friends here. Uh, we love Black Rifle. So go to blackriflecoffee.com, sign up for the coffee club, 
or buy something, do whatever you want. Um, use the code citizen. You're going to get those points off. This episode is brought to you by firstform.com forward slash citizen. Free shipping on all orders over $75 when you use the link. And you're not going to spend less than 75 bucks. I mean, they get the best products in the world, especially the OptiGreens. You know me. I don't eat vegetables um, because they're fucking pointless. So I supplement with OptiGreens 50 from First Form. It is precisely formulated green superfood powder meant for overall immune system support and digestive health. It's really good, aside from just getting the daily greens into your body that you need, and make sure, by the way, you're taking this with MCT because you have to take anything like this with MCT. 80% of your immune system is located in your gut and your digestive tract, right? So healthy digestion is essential for overall health and wellness, not to mention that most of your serotonin, I think 96% of your serotonin or 94% is made in your gut as well. So you're going to be in a better mood. You're going to feel better physically, and you're going to feel better mentally if you are taking these greens. OptiGreen 50 has 50 chosen ingredients, uh, effectively dosed. It's not necessarily how many ingredients there are, though, but it's, a, it's about the right amount of each. Taste and texture no, like no other product in the market. It's not gritty. It doesn't have a weird flavor. It's got sweet berry flavors, actually. Uh, 100% of the greens are all grown and manufactured inside the United States, and they are bioavailable. Now, they've got other products as well. They've got the microfactor which you see behind me on every show, uh, and I take them every day. You know, you got essential fatty acids, CoQ10. You got all the stuff you need in one little packet for your daily vitamin pack. And you mix that. You, you make yourself uh, uh, OptiGreens 50 shake, and you, and you take those pills with it, and you're going to improve your life precipitously. You're going to feel better. You're going to look better, so on and so forth. So go to firstform.com. That's one S-T-P-H-O-R-M dot com forward slash citizen use the code you're gonna get free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks and i'm not here to wish anyone have my experiences either yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so it's this really you have to find your your group i guess that mm -hmm. helps kind of and, and you want to find your tribe that people talk about but my other fear is like sometimes that tribe is what fucking also brings you even further down sure yeah i mean yeah if you let it you will rise and fall to the to the fucking standards of the company you keep. Yeah. That's 100% true. Yeah. Uh, but, it, you know, that's a challenge, right? It's like you're a leader. Yeah. I'm tired of hearing somebody's got to do something. Right. You're, you're fucking somebody. Get up off your fucking ass and do something. Absolutely. And harsh words, but I only say it because I've been there. Right. And that's what I needed to hear at the time. You know what I mean? And it's, it's why people who have been abused make the best abuse counselors. It's why people who have been addicts make the best addiction counselors because yeah. they are – living in both of those worlds all yeah. the time yeah. they're, they're they are for the rest of their lives probably processing the emotions and trauma or whatever the fuck that happened during their negative situation but they're still carrying on and living their lives they are the uh the the gps coordinates back to a normal life for lack of a better phrase right. and uh you know <clears throat> we i i feel like i was so burnt out when i got out that it was like, I'm taking this uniform off. I'm going to go do something else. And it was almost symbolic. It was like, all right, my responsibility is done. And that was wrong. Yeah. And it sent me fucking spiraling because that's not what men, like we, we need the purpose yeah, to survive, you, man. Absolutely. Like, and I was fucked for a while. Yeah. I was very fortunate to have to pay bills still. Like having, yeah, having yeah, yeah. kids was probably the thing. People that think that's on. crazy, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, you fucking like, no, the, the, these weird circumstances that, that uh, uh, I guess buttress your life 
and you think of them as like a fucking pain in the ass sometimes that's what saved you saving dude i had to fucking pay my 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 innate like pressure to to take care of my kids was what kept me so busy that I almost couldn't even pay attention to my own post-traumatic stress. Yeah. I almost couldn't pay attention to my own issues until later on in life, things slowed down. I was like, oh, fuck. Like when I met Matt and JT, mm-hmm. it was probably the best time of my life to meet them because I was actually starting to really struggle because yeah. I wasn't as busy. as I, I wasn't trying to gain a new career. I wasn't going through these academies. I wasn't, you know, I actually was settling into a career field and I almost was like, Fuck, I'm not. I'm I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, and I'm fucking miserable. Yeah. And it was just like, luckily, I found someone at the time that I needed. Well, how did you contextualize it at the time? Like you're in you're in the position you're out of the military, out of relative danger, and you join Bortac. You're you were on the trail for a while too. Right? Yeah, I was. I was. Yeah, I was a drill sergeant. I actually got activated while I was in the border patrol. My within after my first year mm-hmm. as a border patrol agent, got activated back to go push troops down to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, for a year, and then I came back, tried out for. Borstar, I was in Borstar. I was, mm, I was the medic okay. attached yeah, yeah. to Bortac. But yeah, I tried out for the selection of Borstar and made that. Mm. And then eventually got laterally promoted back to go help with the TAC Med program at SOG. Okay. And that's when everything kind of slowed down. And I was like, oh, fuck. I'm exactly where I want to be, but mm. I'm completely miserable with my position in life. What, why do you think that is? I never took the time to actually try and fix me. It was like I was drinking and passing it up and I was getting I was gaining ground on my career and everything and eventually I got there and I was like I was at the top of the hill right I was at the top of the peak like finally to get there and I thought it was going to be like life is good and I realized real fast like oh no I'm still a fucking miserable piece of shit and it was just like you know the fact that you know these two friends came into my life in the time and and we were all I think we're all kind of going through the same phases of our life where we're all just drinking and kind of fucking trying to figure it out um it was like that misery loves company I think we all were connected by the fact that we were all going through the same time Mm. yeah that makes sense um what what do you think it was for you that that turned it around ultimately yeah I had a counselor that did an EMDR session on me we did a couple of those but the counselor she actually lives close to here she's in Round Rock her name is Tanya Glenn um the first thing she said to me was fuck your feelings I don't care about your fucking emotions she goes it's something in your brain that I want to work on Mm. and I was like fuck that's a different approach because I've done the like the fucking group shit and I was like fuck this I'm out you know what I mean that's stupid yeah and so the fact that how she addressed it it felt like kind of the alpha version of how it uh, the communication I needed mm. and I was like okay fuck it I'll sit here and listen to this and she ended up going through what it was and I said fuck it let's do it and when we did it it was the craziest thing that came out she's the one to identify like you're struggling with being a shooter and a healer mm. and she goes it seems like you've had this conflict for so long and it's eating you alive and I'm like you're fucking you're fucking right it is right you know because uh, I didn't realize I was a medic all of a sudden she goes oh and she's kind of breaking it down for me and so we, she was healing this you know, in one of our missions in Mosul, um, you know, I witnessed some shit that I fucking wish I did in a sense was just the collateral damages of war. But I kept having a vision of some lady in my dreams and one day she would be disappointed in me for, for shooting whoever, her husband or whatever in the dream, right. right? And then the next day she's asking for my help to heal this husband. And so like this dream was so, it was the same turn of a corner and then boom, she's there. And every time I was driving in that dream, I was like, fuck, here it comes. And that, the emotions that I had, I'd wake up completely broken because like I didn't want to keep seeing this fucking lady and one day she hates me, one day she needs me. Both ways, I can't help. And it fucked me up, dude, for so long that I was trying to drink myself to sleep and a, a lot of my life around me was falling apart. My my second marriage, which 
you know, um, that one was falling apart and I was like, fuck, this is, this is dying too. But it wasn't anything, anyone else's fault but mine. I was just, just, I was just ruined inside and I wasn't connecting with anything. And so that's when I first realized like, fuck, this doctor pulled a lot of shit that I didn't realize I was dealing with. Mm. And that's what started the path of like, well, let's see what else is out there. Sure. Yeah. The lady was you, right? The lady in your dreams is you. Yeah. Just struggling with your own fucking identity in the world. Yeah. Who do you want to be? I mean, it's not a bad thing to be a shooter, I don't think. No, There's... absolutely not. I think that's part of, like, who I am as a mm. man. It's like, I am the protector of anything I can't protect, right? I'll If something happens today, I'll stand up and protect and die for it. And I'm completely cool with that. But that but that instinct to protect was weaponized in a way that wasn't appropriate. You know absolutely. I mean? That's hard. That's hard to deal with. Yeah. It was hard. <clears throat> it was hard for, for me to deal with as well. That it, That's the thing that made me the angriest i think it's like how fucking dare you take this honor away from us you know what i mean like that's all you have at the end of the day after doing fucked up shit is you know to retain your honor and your identity is it had to be worth it yeah and it had to be the right thing to do justifiable Um, man it has to be justifiable in our souls and they they robbed you they robbed us collectively a lot of us of that shit and you know this isn't the first time that we've had a uh, suicide epidemic, right? So right. after World War One, suicide epidemic. After World War Two, same thing. There, there was the. You may find this uh, uh, surprising, maybe not, but in the period, the years between World War One and World War Two, and then this, the eight years after World War One, um, or I'm sorry, after World War Two, the rate of suicide was three times higher than it was during the actual wars. Oh shit! Yeah. Um, so it's like, and then and then we find now like we're on pace for an active duty suicide record right now in the yeah. DoD. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting to me that thirty percent of those suicides are people that have never deployed before. Yeah, right. That's the that's the crazy thing mm-hmm. that's happening right now, and and I can't even begin to understand what the fuck that's about. Well, we know you can infer some things though, right? It's not unique to just the experience of combat. Right. It's not that. I mean, right. it's it's. And then you draw that upward a little bit to the next least common denominator. It is you're a man. It's mostly men. Uh, you're a provider and protector. And that has been taken away from you. Yeah. And, you know, then if you look at broader society, there's an, there is there is a constant barrage against masculinity for some reason you know right what i mean you can draw your own conclusions about why that is or why it's not i don't i don't really give a fuck about that but it's definitely happening you know and it's, it's super odd times it's it's weird man and then the, there's obviously the the hardware is fucked up too like our testosterone's fucked yeah. up we, we've right. these weird things we eat in plastic bottles and shit like that are, are killing us but either way it's not something that's unique to us but we are the people that survived it you know what I mean? We're yeah. like, we're like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to put that. You know, we're, we're the, I, I guess we're the, uh, the old wise people at this point. You know what I mean? <laughs> at, least, at least in with regard to how to handle the situation, but nobody's listening to what we have to say about it. They're still, yeah. they, they are still running these group fucking circle jerks. They're still like using, teenage rape counselors to fucking counsel men who have been in combat. That's not how this works. Yeah. It's not how it works. Yeah, you, it, there, there are some facets over there that are similar, but to to return 
identity to a man after their identity has been lost. You have to begin with their purpose. Like what, what yep. is it that you're going to do? You yeah. It's, I mean? it's, it's something that I work on. It's funny. I'm, I'm in, I'm doing my master's in psychology mm-hmm. because how much I've worked with veterans in the same exact field. And, and I've, I've studied it. I've watched it, you know, the, the whole thing about suicide contagion and, and, and all these suicide prevention programs who ended up causing more suicide because the, it's almost the negative psychology behind always mm-hmm. talking about the, the worst case scenario instead yeah. of how do you mitigate, how do you mitigate suicide? Well, t- teach people how to live well-rounded lifestyles, but mm-hmm. also like give them the tools to manage themselves mm-hmm. when crisis kind of, you know, how do you divert crisis essentially? Yeah. But it's that else? five to 15 minute window where somebody's sitting there thinking, and it's like, oh shit, you know what? I left the, the oven on. I better go turn it off. And that's the end of that fucking suicidal ideation period. It yeah. literally happens that quickly. Yeah, it's wild. Everyone goes, oh, why didn't he call me? I was like, because no one's thinking about calling no. nobody at the time. They're <clears throat> fucking in it. They're in it. They're in this crisis moment where everything is fucking fuck the world. Mm. Fuck it, you know? And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I became sober is because, you know, having some, Neil, Neil, Neil mm. killed, that crushed me, dog. Yeah. When Neil one, was one of my good buddies and, and uh, he's not he's not the reason why I went sober, but he's just kind of a fuck, man. That dude has similar deployments as me, similar life as me. And fucking to me, he's fucking on top of the fucking world. He's killing it, right? You know what I'm saying? And then to hear he took his life was, was a hard pill to swallow that a lot of our dudes who do take their own lives have been drinking. Uh, it's kind of like that fuck it button, right? Mm-hmm. Just like before you kick in the door and you're like, I might get shot in the face, fuck it, boom. You know, same as drinking. I think drinking is that one thing that a lot of guys kind of need to be like, fuck it. Mm-hmm. And it's the, and, and I had a few friends that did the same thing and I said, you know what? Fuck this. I don't want to give myself that same reason because life is life, dude. We all, there's shit happens in everyone's fucking life. So I don't want to have alcohol in my life to be the conduit to me to say, fuck it. And so that's the reason why I've removed alcohol from my mm. life as well. It could be a bad recipe, I mean, combined with the other stuff that's going on there. I mean, it's a bi- uh, one of the biggest problems is that uh, we're not afraid of dying. Yeah. Like, we already faced that fear. Yeah. I don't give a shit about that anymore. It's like, that's something that's going to happen at some point. What the fuck am I going to do about it? Um, and it, I, I think, <clears throat> you know, the fear of death, the fear of injury is what generates adrenaline and cortisol so we can go fucking defend ourselves or defend things right um so it's good to have a bit of a pucker i guess but you know when you get back into relative calm and you don't have that like you're in fight or flight mode but it isn't a defense mechanism anymore it just you're stuck there right yeah and in the same way you can be in a very successful position in your life and feel miserable, you can be in a relatively safe position and feel unsafe. You yeah. don't know what to do about it, man. That fucks you up. It yeah. fucks your head up badly. Yeah, I was always fear that <clears throat> was it what was I gonna do to fuck up this situation next? Mm. You know. And it always felt like I was almost trying to defend myself for myself. Yeah. And then you don't have there's the the fight isn't there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like well, well who what the fuck am I even fighting anymore? Right. People will go find something. You know yeah. what I mean? We'll find something, even if it's ourselves. And that yep. usually ends up being the case because yep. we isolate and then we just beat the shit out of ourselves physically, emotionally, whatever. Um, it's rough, man. And it's not, again, we talk about veterans a lot, but it isn't unique to veterans. I mean, these issues were going on in the fucking post office back in the 1980s. You know what I mean? Yep. Like this type of, th- this and primarily with men, same same situation. Like we think of uh, <clears throat> this new generation Zennials and their mass shootings and shits like this didn't start going postal happened way before Columbine bitch you yeah. know what I mean 
uh, like so that we, we know a lot about the kind of stress environments and lack of care for people that are doing tough jobs that lead to the shit like this. Yeah. And we still manage to fuck it up every single generation. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the people I, I'm, I'm worried about our active forces. I'm worried about our veterans. Um, and I always will be because we're just like we there's a lot of us, yourself included, they're doing a lot to try to solve this issue. But it's a big issue. Um, <clears throat> but even our approach is still too narrow in scope. Like who's talking to you've got this new book borderline um, about the border where you used to work. Who who's talking about CBP employees? Yeah. who are not getting time off right now they're getting uh they're they're ca- capped out everybody in cbp yeah. that's a fucking actual 1811 or 18 whatever the fuck they're all capped out on pay they can't get paid anymore so yeah. they're just getting time off for uh, but not now yeah right they're getting time off that they may be able to cash in at some point down the road yeah we're, we're fucking grinding these people into powder right now yeah they have one of the highest suicide rates per capita of any law enforcement right now too and and right i, I get Look at all the stuff they're dealing with, but not even that. All the scrutiny they have with them on the media that makes them look like they're the fucking bad guy. There's no, like, nobody likes them. It's the weirdest thing. The government hates them. The people hate them. It's the weirdest thing where the the president himself was, like, mad at the dude for the non whipping, is what they call it. Right? But it's like. (laughs) That's a very brave new world way to say that, too. Well, that's, that's, yeah. It was weird to me because I'm like, wait, you're the one who put in the policies, right? You're. Your people mm. create the policies, and how Border Patrol apprehends anyone is based on what the policy is. And there is these these small dudes that might pull like step outside of that. But that incident itself was like proven like to be one hundred percent exactly what he was trying to do was his job of apprehending. And you do grab people, mm. and for them to almost attack him instead of like further investigate was hard to watch because I was like. Yeah, that's why the border patrol feels like demoralized because the people who are, who are signing their checks, the people who put in the the laws that they're supposed to be uh, protecting, yeah. are the ones who are also demonizing them, which is fucking crazy to watch. Yeah, that's wild, man. It was why I wrote the book. That bro. that that would be like <clears throat> that would be like Bush Cheney deploy us to go do goon shit overseas, and the whole time like, man, our guys are just a little too rough over there. Yeah, you know, yeah like, right. That's what it's it shut like. the fuck up. What are you talking about? Right. I wrote the book and s- swear to God, I saw that shit and I saw how it was handled. And I said, "Yo, Jocko, I'm writing this book, dude." Because too many people were in a really weird time where where people just receive information and take it as facts. Still, it's like mm. really weird, right? Yeah. Like, like they're just like, "Oh yeah," like. Especially my mom's era of like she believed the news, trusted the news, and now you can't trust oh, the shit, Facebook. She, yeah, yeah, she yeah. still is like, oh my god. But people were demonizing them so fucking bad. I had tons of agents hit me up like, bro, I'm leaving. I'm I'm getting out of this career because people don't understand it. I'm like, yeah, dude, because everyone is demonizing you. Mm. And I was like, well, what can I do? I was like, oh, I'm gonna fucking write a book about it. I just wanted to write a book about the career so people can actually understand it because everyone knows what a cop does. Yeah, everyone knows the job of a corrections officer. People think they know the job of the border patrol agent, but they call them border control. You know, they do all the people don't know. They think if you wear a blue uniform, it's still border patrol, which is not right. Mm. They think they don't understand who ICE is in this whole narrative of the whole thing. And so all of it is piled up and they fucking hand it off like border patrol is the bad guy. And it's fucked up. What? How long did you work at border patrol? Just under seven years. And. You know, you come from a family that two generations ago made their way across that border, yep. right? So, like, what what preconceptions did you have about that situation that became very 
yeah. and stupid by the time you actually got there and <laughs> yeah. learned some practical shit. You know, I didn't know much about the Border Patrol as a kid growing up. Mm. Like, I would go to Mexico with my family. We'd vacation there often, and we'd mm. see the green trucks. And then I saw the movie Coming to America with Cheech Marin. You know, it was <laughs> yeah. fucking dope, right? But I yeah. still didn't understand the gravity of, like, mm. Mexico, America, mm. and you have to come over to be a citizen. It was just so removed from our conversation in our household. But I went to go visit my grandmother all the time in Canotillo, Texas, which is a border town. You know what I mean? Which is, you know, El Paso is just within the border. Yeah. And... I didn't really put anything two and two together until I started applying for it and really like, oh, fuck. I call mom like, hey, grandma, how did you come across? She's like, oh, Vinny, well, it's kind of a crazy story, right? <laughs> and so then I was like, oh, fuck, you know? And, uh, you know, I never spoke Spanish. So in L.A., you know, in some group of friends that were white, I'm the beaner in the group. Yeah, yeah, to yeah, my Hispanic yeah. friends, I'm the fucking, they called me a fucking coconut, right? Yeah. And so and so it was like I never knew where I fit in in that world as well because I was either too Hispanic or not Hispanic enough. And so my whole life has been like this kind of crazy space. But I knew my grandfather served. I knew a couple mm. uncles who served. And so it was like, oh, man. For me, joining was like if I can do what I thought I was doing in the military is protecting our country overseas, mm. but do it here in country. I'm still serving my country in the same patriotic fashion. So be it. Let's do it. Then I started question like, well, fuck, I'm Hispanic. Then I started looking like, dude, most of them are yeah, Hispanic. Yeah, and yeah. then why, so then why is that? Yeah. Well, our grandparents have taught us to believe in what America is. They came mm. here for the reason of, of the proud uh, opportunities of what America gives them. And so who am I to shit on their fucking belief of like coming here and using the opportunity to be good American citizens and provide for the country back. And so I just wanted to continue to serve that. Yeah, it's, there's a weird, um, <clears throat> we have a weird relationship with our own national identity now. Yeah. I think if you would ask myself or you when we were in high school i make this point a lot but what what it meant to be an american we would have an answer to that question yeah and it would be pretty specific probably right and, and it may be we may have different answers but it would be we would have one yeah i don't know that a 14 15 year old now has an answer to that question i don't know if it even occurs to them yeah which is a problem in itself but i don't think they would have an answer so and i don't think that the <clears throat> this modern immigrant that we're seeing doesn't appear to be coming for the same reason. Like the America, the, the geographic features of America are not some magic. You don't come here and you're successful. That's not right. what it, it's like you come here and if you the right way and you work hard, then you're successful. It's like all three of those things. Right? Yeah. The term immigrant mentality used to be a positive thing yeah, yeah. because it's like, you show up here and you fucking use that opportunity mm. and you work your ass off to provide for your family and create generational changes, mm. like complete generational shifts. I don't know if it's the same thought process anymore because uh, my family did, did that. They came here and they they provided, they became very successful in their worlds. Uh, and I want to continue to do that for my kids. But nowadays it's different. It's like it's so incentivized to mm. come here. And I my fear is, and I would say more realistically, most of the people coming across don't care about the future of what America has. They're not wanting to invest in what to what America right. can be for their own kids. Most are coming here, and I've I've had conversations with a lot of. I want to get get a job and send money back. Yeah, and it's like that's become more and more right. And they're like, yeah. "Fuck, that's that's crazy to me." Because if you come here because we give opportunity, you should say, "No, I want to continue to build this mm. so others can have the same opportunity." It's not the same. It's a very different thought process, which which then then you have to look at illegal immigration in a way of like, man, it's almost using us. And that's not fair either. Yeah, it's really interesting how we've lost 
our national identity to a large degree. And certainly part of that is losing pride in the country. I say this all the time, so bear with me, but British author G.K. Chesterton said that uh, men didn't love Rome because she was great. Rome was great because men loved her, right? That's the kind of attention and, and, and care that a, that a community needs to thrive like that. But it's interesting then, as we've lost our national identity, even the people who are self-selecting to come here don't respect it anymore either. And right. I wonder which is the chicken and which is the egg. Right. You know, it's hard to say, I guess. Yeah. But I'll, I can't say this. Like, somebody's got to do something. Well, you better fucking start caring about your country. But yeah. if you want it to continue existing, like, we're, we're in rough times right now. You may yeah. not notice it because you're eating Hot Pockets and watching shit on your iPad, but we're in pretty rough times right now. Yeah. There's got to be a, a pride. When, when <clears throat> people start turning the American flag into that's a symbol of whatever else they want to call it, mm. It's like that's where we're starting to fuck up because that flag represents what it is to be American in all facets, in all fucking it, countries that have come here to, to find success. That flag should be the identity of like that means I can come here and yeah. find success by working my ass off. That's what that flag represents. But it's been twisted and turned so much that people are almost afraid of that flag. And younger generations mm. are like, oh, I don't know if I want to hang the flag anymore because I don't want people to, to judge me and think I'm racist or any of that shit. Yeah. Right? Because, because that's yeah. what they're starting to make people feel about it. And that's a scary thing, right? I try and raise my kids to be very patriotic in the sense mm. like, dude, you got to love America for what it is, dude. It's given us what we fucking have. Yeah. And we're only one generation apart from my motherfucking picking cotton home, boy. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, there's yeah, a, yeah. What, what we have done in the time we have been in America, we've, we've given back as much as possible. I want to continue that belief system. Mm -hmm. but this is just my now i do have a lot of kids but but it's just my small imprint on this 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 nation is hopefully that at least my kids will continue that thought process yeah reagan said something like uh liberty is always one generation away from extinction (laughs) right it's like fucking yeah Yeah, i mean of all the stuff he said that was a little kooky uh (laughs) and and tripling the national debt i'm not a huge fan of reagan to be honest (laughs) not that it matters but um that was about the smartest thing i think he ever said in his life because we Relative safety seems so safe until it's not. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a really crazy time right now. Like you lose the we we've lost. I think this is at the crux of this, but we've lost like whatever biological imperatives we have that make their way into our like physiology, such that it can like controls the way we think. We've lost the connection between effort and outcome at this point. Mm -hmm. It's like just expect good things to happen. It's yeah. like, all right, cool, man. It's like being positive is great. You know what <laughs> I mean? Uh, but, uh, you know, <clears throat> Churchill said that appeasement is feeding the crocodile, hoping he eats you last. <laughs> and 260 known derogatories from Afghanistan and uh, uh, Chechnya and then Eastern Russia, not in yeah. Chechnya and shit like that, have made their way across the border this year and have been given NTAs and sent out into the country. Yep. It's like, I could do a lot of stuff with 260 terrorists. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we're seeing how <clears throat> Israel's actually got a border wall, yeah. right? And an iron dome. We don't have any of that shit. Yeah. And then uh, certainly not our interior communities. They don't have any of that shit. Like yeah. we're, I, I, I'm, I really su- suspect that we're going to get hit sometime during the holidays. I think it'll be a follow-on action. I think that... Uh, it's primed for it now. Five million people have come from, across from the border. From who do you think? Uh, it'll be disparate. It'll be fucking decentralized. That's the way they operate. Yeah. Like they're the thing that people don't realize. Rec- <clears throat> the thing that people don't realize about terrorism is that this. It, it may seem blowing yourself up in a fucking crowded mall, 
or shooting up a bunch of fucking kids at a school or whatever it is might seem like a new tactic, but the baseline tactic is not new, right? Yeah. It is to provoke and like we we are we have continental standoff like no other country does, right? Except for our southern and northern border. Um, you have to draw us out of the castle yeah. to come fight you somewhere else. And then as we're doing that, our homeland becomes weaker. We spend more money and resources, so we have less. Um, and then people get fatigued by this over time and have less political will to do anything that's necessary yeah. to keep a country safe. So it isn't about knocking the towers down. It's about the Department of Homeland Security and the Patriot Act. That's yeah. what it's really about. Yeah. It's about creating the conditions where leaders in countries will overreach, will spend too much money, will freak out. It's a, it's basically just attacking supply lines. It's nothing new. We've yeah. been doing this since the beginning of warfare, um, and we're dumb enough to fall into that trap, so why would they stop now? Yeah, man. I uh, I live in a constant like mindset of you know the massive influx of people coming across, right? Five million in two years. Yeah. So I live in a, a constant mindset of prepared right mm -hmm. I, I i'm always prepared for that for like some kind of terrorist action something to happen and i would just use my wife for instance she doesn't even think like that at all so when i yeah. kind of mention it to her i'm trying not to fear monger my own wife yeah, yeah. but i'll say like hey it's kind of you know i'm very calm about it because like like I've, I've done the work i'm prepared for any of this shit and fucking yeah. it is so i always tell like you know the illegal immigration thing's fucked up but the fear is what could happen from all those people that come into country? And she goes, what do you mean? I was like, well, a lot of things could happen, right? And I'm trying to like soft Not be blow, specific. Right, you know, soft you know. blow this to her. Just be like, look, we should always be thinking about this stuff. You know what I mean? And like the rest of the world, they're like, oh, you know, I've, I've done so many podcasts about this book. And they're like, what do you think? I say the same to them because like I, I don't fear monger this. I'm prepared for it because mm. it's there's a high probability of something like this to happen because yeah. this tactical side of my head is always like, oh, shit, this is kind of crazy. If there's any doubt, there is no doubt. Right. That's how you operate in combat. Right. And so and then the other side of the immigration side is like, you know, it's got to slow down at some point. We got to figure this out because it becomes even more so every year mm. a bigger threat because the pooling of people that are coming here that probably don't have the same ideology as America mm. are going to be against us. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like the idea of... Um, at its core, I don't like the idea of selective admission based on uh, immutable traits, right? Like someone's ethnicity or whatever shouldn't have anything to do with it, right. nor should their religion. But there should be an ideological standard that you have to meet before you can immigrate here. Like people that are people that are in major cities waving signs and like Palestinian flags, wave it all you want. I don't give a shit about that. Yeah. That's your political position. When you're waving a sign that is a quote that's been used for the last hundred years to say the Jews need to be wiped out, then I think you should fucking have your American citizenship revoked and thrown into the fucking ocean, frankly. Yeah. There's no room here for that kind of bullshit. Yeah. That's, you know what I mean? And I would feel the one. same. Like if, if there's a Klansman who thinks that all black people need to be fucking caged somewhere, take that motherfucker's citizenship away and throw him into the fucking ocean. Fuck him. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, and that's... I'm I'm I feel libertarian most of the time, but when it's people subjugating other people, I get fucking mad. And maybe yeah. it's because of my you know upbringing being abused when I was a kid. I get really fucking tuned up about that shit. But <clears throat> there's no place in our world for that. Liberty only exists if it exists for everybody and all the time. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just another form of fucking authoritarianism, right? Yep. And I, don't, I will not support that under any uh, circumstances. I and and we we have to stop. We have to stop capitulating 
to these powers and it, it, it isn't even out of force anymore it's out of convenience yeah. like oh, i don't want to have to go find a new job just give me that shot or i don't want to have to do this so just do so i'll whatever I'm, i'll just wear your mask for the next two years like yeah. come on man that's who we are now that yeah. it's it, it's no it's no surprise that we're here yeah you know at this point uh the other thing about you know people in public and shit the most powerful weapon you have is situational awareness right your yeah. body your brain is way better at being a brain than you are at thinking yeah. so if if you're starting to feel anxious or nervous about something get your shit get your kids get the fuck out of there right don't don't fucking second guess yourself just do it you can there's plenty of time to tell that funny story later like oh you know what i just got spooked and left i don't know what happened <laughs> that's that's a lot better than picking your kids brains up off the fucking Ab- floor absolutely you know man. what i mean I- we have contingency thoughts all day long in my house because I have to. My yeah. head has to. And, I, and she has to know what's on well, my you've mind. Got- Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Like 30 kids now. Right, so yeah, like, right. Well, I, yeah, I have, you, you know, alpha, alpha and Bravo got team. Got a call roster and shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, t- give, me, give me the elevator pitch of the book. Tell me what I'm going to learn when I read this thing. Yeah, so. I mean, I've already read it, but tell yeah. me what I'm going to. My goal with this book is to. To, to explain the border patrol career field through my eyes as the person who experienced it himself uh, to explain what the job entails and what the duties are of a border patrol agent himself, as well as a highlight of the special operations teams. I think when you read this book, you'll, you'll understand what the border patrol's position is with the immigration and how they handled their job, as well as I think it's going to be a very valuable recruiting tool for anyone in the military wanting to come out and do something badass. The special operations unit in the border patrol are hands down fucking high speed as fuck and very, very good at what they do. Uh, I would never have lost left that career if it wasn't going through my own personal struggle in my life. Mm. Uh, you know, going through my issues with, with the divorce, going through becoming a single father again, all these things. Um, and then wanting to pursue, you know, the acting side of things because the business side of my life was doing well at the time. Uh, I never would have left that career. I really wholeheartedly believe they're the first line of defense against any terrorist actions coming across that border. And I, what my goal was is for people to want to humanize the badge for people to understand what they're doing and to appreciate and have gratitude for that job itself. Because I think it is the most patriotic position you can have in this country by being a border patrol agent currently in our society. And they're not getting the credit that they deserve. Yeah, we've had, We've had the good fortune to see some leaked meetings with Border Patrol leadership and Myrcus as well. Yeah. With, uh, you know, frontline guys saying, what the fuck, dude? Yep. And then being lied to openly on camera by Myrcus and other yep. Border Patrol and, leaders. And, and Ortiz at the yeah, time. Ortiz, yeah. Uh, it's like. It's tough, man, because, you know, Ortiz said it, in which I actually really appreciate when he said this is like, look, man. I don't, I don't, I can't, I don't agree with happening, mm. but I have to do what I'm, his job is. At the same time, what's the, what are they going to, if he doesn't, what happens? They just fire him and find someone else. Mm. They find another puppet to speak for him. And so there's that fight with the border patrol themselves. They want to do the right thing. The, mm. the job mm. itself is, has just an innate like patriotism to the country. But, you know, 
they can only go as far as you know the border patrol doesn't the border patrol doesn't create the policy it's mm-hmm. the you know policy makers do the, the you know the the administration does and these executive orders that come down the chain of command are out of anyone's hands and so it's a really unfortunate position to be in to to choose a career field that uh, you really believe in and then to to be given an executive order to not be allowed to do your job mm-hmm. that's a frustrating position to be and like i don't even know like you know and if so we and him are getting back and forth on this kind of topic it's like man I feel for them because yeah. like if I didn't have a business outside of the border patrol, I wouldn't have been able to walk away. Yeah. And even if I just hated every part about it, I wouldn't have been able to walk away. So the one thing I did for myself was get onto the special operations team because I feel at least I'm focused on things that are really making impacts by disrupting trafficking organizations and whatnot. And so you felt like you were still being able to accomplish a mission. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the end of the day, the executive order takes, takes precedence and we have to follow that. Well, how far do you have to follow it? Like a, what, over the past couple of months, uh, seeing Border Patrol agents cut C wire that was put out, I wouldn't do that. They'd have to fire me. Yeah, oh, that's there's a, no that's way I would do that. well. There's the the side of that is you remember that you're just seeing that. What happens was that is the Border Patrol is under what the federal right the fe- the federal kind of uh, it makes the determination on those policies, but the state doesn't. And so what happened was state law enforcement officers put the barbed wire, but that barbed wire was already about 20 meters from, from the entry point of Mm -hmm. America. So those people, those personnel already crossed into America, they're here. So the border patrol always has taken a kind of a more passive approach to uh, arrest authorities. Mm -hmm. We don't pull out a gun and say, you're under arrest. We just say, hey, you know what I mean? Why not? Because there never has been a need for it. It's not an aggressive posture that they're taking with us. Now, if there was an aggressive posture in the sense where they're coming with a pistol, we pull our pistol. But in the end of the day, they're coming across with the with the demeanor as just like, "Hey, we're here. We're ready to get our papers." That's just the fact, right? Yeah, but if but if like a uh, you know, uh, uh, let's say a, a yacht with two hundred Chinese clearly operators pulled up to one of our ports in the uh in the northeast somewhere right yeah and they were super polite when they were getting off the boat but they if were they have weapons no, no 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 weapons no weapons yeah but it's they, clearly chinese military right we, we we've seen a massive influx of military age males into this right. country especially over the past six months right right like that is a passive invasion like we're what, what's like i'm not blaming border patrol for no this, no i get you but the the posture can't remain the same the posture will stay that posture until it's changed in executive order or some kind of policy. That's the that's just the problem is like their job is to apprehend and process and hand off to the next. If there was something put into order saying, hey, you guys need to make sure they do not come into this country, well, then the Border Patrol will take that position. But currently, the Border Patrol takes a position of exactly mm-hmm. what's, what's given to them, apprehend them. And if you, you have to escalate, right, the, force, the use of force continuum. I mean, if someone escalates violence, then you escalate yourself. But until then, they're just coming across being like, hey, because it's incentivized as well, right? They're coming mm. across knowing in three days they'll be released with an NTA, a phone, and fifteen hundred dollars or whatever from these NGOs. But that's the problem: is the border patrol takes a passive position, and and not the problem. It's just what part of their job is a humanitarian mission, mm. right? So it is this: they got to play law enforcement officer humanitarian mission at the same time, as well as worry about the homeland security and in the and follow immigration policy at the same time. Like it's the hardest fucking job you're ever gonna yeah. have yeah. because a sheriff goes. Fuck you, homie. Here's barbed wire. You ain't coming in. That's the sheriff's position. They take more of aggressive mm-hmm. posture, and they can, right? Yeah. That's actually their order is told to do that. That's by the state. But Borchel is told to do what they do, and that's why you see those things like cutting the wire. Because if they didn't cut the wire, then these people would potentially get injured, blah, 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 no matter what, would provide a medical to them. It's this really hard thing, but that is the position that Borchel takes on that. It's like if they're already crossed into our country and they're already making way, 
What's the point of letting them fucking get caught? I want to dig a 40-foot ditch (laughs) and then put crocodiles in it. What do you think about that? Uh, I don't know if they'd allow you to do that, but... Who's they? uh, There's going to be... There's some some border... I'm trying to think, because someone said this before, and we were talking to the... I was actually with Borchel talking Mm -hmm. about that, and it's something there's like... And a reasonable amount of like safety is still expected to be created. So like all the guys who own ranches, why don't they do that? All the guys who own ranches on the border, like there's fucking tons of border owned by ranchers. I don't know. I would. <laughs> I don't know if you'd be allowed to. I don't know if you're allowed to. What do you mean allowed though? Who's going to stop me? It's my property. Yeah, correct. But I I don't, I don't know. Look at that. It, fuck it. I don't know. Yeah, That's well, the truth. I don't know. But I remember. I don't there, either. It's it's yeah. Uh, it's I remember very there confusing. was an argument about this, and mm. there's something. There's something about it, and I and I can't really speak on it because I can't. I won't, I'll fuck it up. But I know there was something to do with the fact that it's there by law there wouldn't be even allowed to create that. Because like how many you know how many do just straight up patriotic dudes on those ranches? Mm-hmm. They there's nothing they can do. They just create a higher fence. They put little barbed wire on their fence, and eventually it just gets cut through by the next coyote. So like I don't. I know there's something that to the effect. I don't know exactly what that law is. Um, maybe we should buy the land. South of the border, too, right? That'd be interesting. Just buy an acre on each side and put crocodiles in those. <laughs> <laughs> I just really wanted to involve crocodiles. I don't know why. Uh, no, this is a it's it's an insane situation. Uh, it's fucked. The, the, the only way it, it gets fixed is by strong leadership from the top. To be honest, yeah. And I've tried explaining to people like there's no one plus one equals two aha answer. It's a seven layer cake, and 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 knowing the right recipe would fucking is is what it's going to take, and that means multiple different angles of, of attack yeah. with this from trying to figure out what's going on in that country and why they're fleeing from that country mm. on the same time educating them that that you know human traffickers are fucking abusing them and as well as like manipulating them yeah. as well as understanding like you know the drug like there's so many layers of this that we have to approach also how are the people that are already here how do we you know what reagan did mm. you know the you, you, there's things like that all these different layers have to be addressed when you're talking about this whole immigration issue because if not you're not. You're only just doing the surface level answer, and, and that's still never going to work. It's yeah. what every president has done for the past, like what thirty, forty years. Just is punt, yeah. Scrape the top. Mm. It's working, and then yeah. you realize <laughs> nothing yeah. changes. Yeah, I'm not sure that the people coming here know the deal either. Like, do you know you're going to go to a bodega for three weeks, and if you're a woman of any caliber, you're getting hooked on fucking drugs, and you're getting raped for a couple of weeks, and then sent out as a fucking prostitute for the rest of your I life? D- right? I don't understand. That's that's a crazy one. There's such good communication between them, because that's how they know. Like that's why like Eagle Pass is like massive. Oh yeah. Influx. I mean they've got they've got immigration attorney appointments before they even it, cross it's, the. It's insane, border. dude. Yeah, and you know <clears throat> they know they're gonna get processed in three days in that area because mm. there's a huge process center that does it that no. fast, right? But how come they're not telling the females the dangers of what's gonna happen? Yep. It's it's fucking it's crazy to me, dude. And there's you know there's families that are giving their kids nine years old and, and up birth control just because not yeah. if it's when, yeah. right? So all these fucking things like it's fucking pretty terrible. But where is the information being spread about that? Where's where's the people talk? They should be calling their own people like, yo, this is not as safe as you think. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. just not. I don't know why that's not happening. Well, maybe we can make a documentary about it. I'm 100% down. I've been down, bro. Yeah, I know. Trying I know. to find someone to fucking fund that has been impossible. Yeah, it's weird how everybody wants to talk about this issue, but nobody wants to do a goddamn I've thing offered to every major hitter out I there, know. come with me to the border. I have I have a paper from Department of Homeland Security that says, you're more than welcome to film here as long as you like, like tell the truth of the Border Patrol career field. Like, that's too easy. Mm. But like everything else that's going on down there, no one wants to. No one wants to touch it, bro. It's weird. 
It's odd as fuck to me, dude. Mm. I'm not using my own money. Shit, I'm like, we're still on strike. I still haven't got paid in like six months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, but it's this crazy thing that no one really wants to jump on that. I've offered, I don't even want to call names, man. I've, to, I've, I've Big dudes, dude, mm. are, are like, huh, we'll think about it. Yeah. It's yeah. a scary thing to jump on. And, and it's so controversial. It's so divisive. There's the crazy thing. When I post about like the illegal immigration coming across, right, I just make one video. And the shit on my feed is people talking shit back and forth, this and that. Like, there's some people like, welcome home. And there's other people like, shoot them all. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> both sides are fucking wrong. Like, yeah. it's, and I get the emotions on both sides mm -hmm. of it, but um, this is such a complex issue that we just need to expose more information on it. We need to show it. Mm -hmm. And so people to understand it, because it's, it is. I think in the end of the day, most people would agree that somewhere in the middle is the answer and we have to find what that answer is. Because if you don't allow immigration, well then you almost lose the dignity of what America stands for as well. Yeah. And so there's a balance that has to happen there. And there's a balance in the security that has to happen. Right now, we're, 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 we're the, the dial has turned so far like allowing immigration that we're not having the security side that we need. We need to dial it back to the, where both parties and the sense of parties as in uh, security and immigration yeah. policy yeah. are met. And where we can kind of dial back and forth as as things kind of change. Yeah, look, it's a it's a it's a bizarre and interesting conversation, um, dichotomous for sure. I mean, we all I think we all want to. No, nobody wants to look at a kid or a family that is trying to have a better life and say no. Right. You know what I mean? And you're putting you're putting us into a position, not you, but you know the government's putting us into a position where we're going to have to say no. Machiavelli said. That if you're kind when you're supposed to be cruel, you'll be forced to be cruel and you're supposed to be kind. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the way I think that's works. exactly what's happening is that people are so frustrated that mm. now they don't even want to see mm. the human side of it. Yeah. And I get that. They're so fucking mad about it. They're like, fuck all of them. And it's like, mm. I've sit here in the middle thinking like, I get that. But yeah. fuck, we can't do that either because yeah. this country has dignity still and wants yeah. to keep that. Yeah. Well, we should just, you know, one for one swap any family that's coming here to make a better life. They're in. Anybody that's in TIFA, they're out. Seems like a fair trade to me. <laughs> uh, borderline Defending the Home Front by Vincent Vargas. It, it comes out on, what, the 14th? Yeah, the 14th. 14th, so right after Veterans Day. Uh, thanks for coming today, man. I appreciate, I appreciate it. it. No, thank you for the conversation, man. Yep, anytime. And thank you all for listening. This has been Citizen. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.